everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Heartland Franchise Guy podcast, your insider's guide to franchises in the Heartland area. I'm Blake Martin, local small business franchise owner and your Heartland Franchise Guy. This is the place for education, resources, and advocacy for our local franchising field and for local entrepreneurs looking to learn about the franchising field. Do we have one for you today, folks? Today's November 3rd, 2021, and our guest today is Alan Hager, the founder and former chairman of the board of Right at Home and Right at Home International, the home care franchise based here in Omaha, Nebraska, still to this day. Alan, thanks so much for joining us. Great to be here, Blake. Thanks for having me. You bet. Appreciate you being here. So with his background as somebody who founded and trailblazed really an industry in franchising, what Alan brings to the conversation today is a really unique perspective that very few people, particularly few people in the local area, have on the franchising field. He's kind of seen the full circle of the industry. So how about we start at the beginning, Alan? What was the impetus for you to start the right-at-home home care business years ago? What was it, 1995? 95, that's right. Well, you know, I had, uh, had, a, had a great career in uh, health care uh, and health administration. I'd been, I was on the hospital administrator track and mm-hmm. had worked. Uh, I had come to Omaha uh, back in 87 and had been working uh, at, a, at the hospital here in Omaha. It was the old Clarkson Hospital, which is now Nebraska Medicine. Right. And uh, in connection with that position, I, I had a myriad of things to do, but one of the things that I worked on was really trying to understand the needs of, of the people that were coming through. I had to do a lot of surveying of clients and, and patients and their family. And, uh, I mean, really enjoyed, uh, uh, you know, uh, working on that. But one of the things that became apparent to me, um, and this, uh, you know, the important part of my job was to bring to the, uh, the executive team, you know, what kind of deficits do we have? What kind of things aren't we doing that need to get done? You know, what, what do we need to cover that hasn't been covered? And one of the things that our, uh, that our research was showing is that when folks were coming into the health facility, they were getting sicker and sicker and older and older. Mm. And when they were leaving, they really didn't have a place to go. I mean, a lot of the families, they were leaving with disabilities, and the families are trying to take care of them. They don't want to go into a nursing home, but they can't quite be taken care of at home. And the hospital really didn't have an answer for that. And, of course, my job was to come up with answers for things like that. <laughs> And uh, at the time, um, I, I tried to work up something that would work with the health system, but it really became apparent to me quickly as I got into it. Here was this big driving need. If you looked at the demographics, this was something over the next 30, 40, even 50 years that was going to grow dramatically. Uh, and, and it wasn't something the hospital was going to do. So you know, long story short, after doing that research, I said someone, you know, is going to, to take this industry and is going to move with it. When I researched what was already going on, it was pretty much a small cottage industry. And that's when I said, you know what, I'm going to, I, I made the decision. I left the health system and I started right at home. Wow. So a true gap analysis. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, problem solution and something with, that I saw that I thought would be sustainable. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, 
That was the idea. <laughs> <laughs> and everything and, and everything exactly worked out perfectly. Planned. Yeah, I okay. just I just rolled it out. It was just a great plan and moved on it. No, Cash obviously that there dollar were, check after there, the first month. There were lots yeah. of uh, challenges ahead, but uh, I actually worked on uh, the Omaha office. I started the office here and had a couple of different offices and expanded over about a five year period. And we really didn't start franchising till 2001. I really wanted to flesh out uh, the idea and the concept. And by 2000, I was I was pretty confident. You know, I understand how this works, and I uh, got the capital together, and that's when we franchised. So, did anybody ever discourage you from doing this? You know, yes, along the way. Uh, interestingly enough, when I talked to a lot of the folks in the traditional health system. They basically uh, told me at the time, you know, if Medicare doesn't pay for it, people aren't going to do this. You know, <laughs> this was a t- totally private pay model for people at home taking care of their, their loved ones. Uh, but my research showed uh, I, I didn't think that was true. And obviously, it's, it's a huge industry now, and it has been proved out. But it just shows you the box we all get in. I mean, most of the care at the time was being paid for by the government. Yeah. So they assumed the private care just wasn't viable. You looked at it and said, people will pay for what they want. Well, it, it just, it, it, for, for one thing, I think uh, when you're looking in, in an entrepreneurial way, you say, well, there's other ways to get at this. It doesn't have to be an all or nothing. You know, a lot of the uh, Medicare, home health care, as, as good as it was, it was structured in a very expensive way. And um, I think what we found is there's a much more efficient way to get at this. And you could do, you know, it wasn't an all or nothing kind of thing. And certainly I saw that. There were a number of people in, in facilities, in institutional-based care, that just didn't belong there. And when you began to compare those numbers, you said, there, there's a big gulf here. There's, there's a, as you said, a gap, and there's an opportunity. Gotcha. So you took a bet on that, and after five years, it started paying off. But then you took another big bet, uh, another gamble, and you decided to turn it into a franchise model and, and replicate it that way. Now, I'm sure you were thinking there's, there's a lot of different ways that you can replicate this, right? Just open up more locations, right. and own and operate them yourself, do a licensing model. Can you talk a little bit about the thought process and what you were weighing when you decided, I'm going to turn this into a franchise system? Sure. After about two to three years, um, I mean, I could see that this had, this really did have legs. I mean, it was working. We had a good model. It's profitable. Uh, you know, we're making payroll. It was actually, you know, able to pay some bills. Uh, I mean, I, I felt confident about it. We, we still were working on it, and you should work on your business every day. I'm sure <laughs> they're still working on it. Uh, but um, it, it was clear to me that, that this would work in any parts of the United States and actually many parts of the developed world. And so uh, at first, I have to, to, to tell you up front, I did not think of a franchise model. I was really at that really? time. I was a healthcare executive. I really wasn't that familiar with the franchising, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to do the traditional route. You know, I'll get to investors because then, you know, as you expand, that's certainly something you need. I'll get some investors. We'll start opening up company shops, and we'll go that direction. But as I dug into this more and more, and I really thought through carefully where my success was coming from. It, it became, you know, clear to me that a lot of the success of this model uh, were local relationships. Healthcare is a huge industry, but it's very localized. I mean, there are very few things other than maybe 
uh, the drug industry and the medical equipment industry, most care parts of the model, even hospitals, even large hospitals, are very localized. And uh, I, I found that very true in, in, in home care and the type of home care we were doing. And I looked at several companies. There were a few companies that were out there at the time and starting to develop private models. But what I saw is an awful lot of turnover of managers mm-hmm. and others in the local market. And as I looked at franchising as an, oper- you know, as an alternative to that, one of the things I loved about the franchising model was having someone whose interests were aligned with yours in that local market. They had skin in the game. They, you know, they weren't a partner in the legal sense, as you know, we have to be clear, <laughs> but they were certainly a partner in the sense that, you know, that if we did well, they could do well. And um, so, so the more we fleshed it out, uh, uh, the more I became convinced that was going to be the successful way to expand. You said something there that really resonated with me, and I think it probably applies to any industry. It doesn't, maybe not a necessity, but certainly something that was important in your decision-making, and that's where the success was coming from, through local relationships. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, as you think about uh, any, any business, and, and this is what I love about franchising, is uh, all those thousands of mistakes that I made. <laughs> oh, you made mistakes. Uh, yeah, about 10, oh, maybe, okay. maybe 10,000. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, along the way, you, you, you learn so much, and you learn what's important, you learn what's not important, mm-hmm. and what really drives your business. If you're successful, I mean, you have to. You know, you, in every business, it's going to be a little different mix of factors. You know, some businesses, yeah. it's much more, you know, the labor, others, it's the technology and so forth. Well, one of the things that I became convinced, one of the linchpins for our business was having a, a local um, a person who could develop relationships within the healthcare community, trusted relationships. And uh, really, I, I felt franchising was, was a perfect kind of model because you would you know, be able to select folks that had the same value system as you, who were aligned with you and uh, who, who had their name on the line. And I, and I really liked that idea and, and felt that, you know, our chance of success would be a lot better. Yeah, yeah. Shared success, shared responsibility. I'm sure you talk about that once in a while. Every once in a while, you know. comes up on this podcast every once in a while, too. So. <laughs> you referenced something that I was going to bring up anyways, and that was, um, you know, Sometimes you make mistakes here and there, and, and I've heard that um, you can take some lumps starting a franchise system, particularly if it's in an industry where people haven't really done it before. Well, there's a few that were doing it at about the same time, right? You had Right at Home, Home Instead, a few others that were doing it, but did you take any lumps in the beginning when you were turning the business into a franchise, and can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, uh, again, you know, you, you make... Uh uh, some mistakes. Uh, I mean, some of the things we found, there were some areas and some of them are still difficult in the United States because of the regulatory structure, as oh, an yeah. example, that make it in our particular business. I mean, healthcare is uh, regulated at the federal level, but it's also regulated at the, at the state level. So there were some states and, and others that it just was, you know, a lot more challenging. And, and what I found was, you know, we really needed, especially as, as a new growing 
franchise, there were more opportunities in places where it wasn't so difficult from a regulatory basis. Uh Now, I think a lot of that's evolved. You know, we we formed a national association. We did a lot of lobbying, and I think that a lot of that's been straightened out uh, because, uh, you know, I think we were able to help the government officials and policymakers understand, you know, this is important. This is what needs to happen. But at the time, with a new structure, we were seeing very kind of, uh, there was a lot of skepticism because here's a private pay health care service. And it was just a different animal. And uh, we had to work through that. So, so yeah, we, we made some mistakes there. Uh, and as I said, a lot of mistakes on, on emphasizing the wrong thing. Um, it was funny as we were preparing for this podcast, we were just having a discussion and it made me think of this, but how things have changed. But, you know, initially when we were, uh, um, recruiting our first franchisees, the yellow pages were important. <laughs> think about that. I mean, that sounds more like a hundred years ago now, doesn't it? I mean, this thing called the internet was kind of a, well, what is that all about? And, and, you know, how does that work? And, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very, uh, happy to say we were one of the early users of, uh, the internet. As a matter of fact, the company that I initially used didn't even have as part of our strategic plan, uh, using online kinds of marketing. No kidding. Exactly. So we were, we were pretty avant-garde in in that, on, in, in that level. But, uh, I mean, that, that's just a perfect example of how yeah. things have evolved. And now there's these things called podcasts and all sorts of other crazy <laughs> things. <laughs> they could only exist with websites, of course. Exactly. So, that's fascinating. So spinning off on, on that discussion, there's going to be listeners that are really hoping this question comes up from somebody with your experience. And we can ask the same question two different ways. But it's all about what would you advise somebody who is building or wanting to build an emerging franchise system? Or another way of asking that same question is, somebody who wants to be a franchisee and is thinking about joining an emerging franchise system, what are the components that that franchisor should be focusing on? Where should they be putting their resources, particularly in the early days, in order for it to be a safe investment and a safe structure for continued growth? Right. Well, you know, I'll start kind of on the franchisor side. You know, one of the things that I think is absolutely vital, I mean, is that you have a proven, workable model. I think, you know, a a classic mistake that a lot of early franchisors make is they they get something going, they think it's all set, it's, they want to get out in the marketplace, they want to have first mover advantage and all that. Well, you know, there's, there's something to be said for that, but now you're going to make a lot of mistakes on the fly (laughs) and you're not going to have that you know, those 10,000 things you've learned yep. beforehand. You really are have, you really have two businesses going. When you begin to franchise an existing business, I really think the construct is you think of it as two interrelated businesses. And that okay. franchise needs to be the, the, the initial concept office or whatever it is, location, needs to be able to stand on its own. If it cannot, you're, it's going to make it extremely difficult for you to build a successful franchise or business. There really are different kind. There are different elements of success in the franchisor business than there is in running an office. Even though you're franchising that particular concept, they're just different businesses. So that that's the most important thing to keep in mind. You really are starting a separate business. So, just an e- easy example, you better be able to backfill with excellent managers uh, and 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 look at your leadership team 
for your, your initial site or sites that you already have running. So replace the talent that you've removed from it, including yourself, potentially yourself. Yourself, exactly. Right. And, and if you can't remove yourself, then how are you going to start a franchise company? Because now you have to build an entirely new team. And and you got an entirely different set of challenges. I mean, you got a different way of marketing, you got a different way of operating, you got a different way. I mean, there's just there's just a whole myriad of things that are very different. Again, they're related to your initial concept. And I would say now on the franchisee side, if you're looking at an emerging franchise concept, that's an excellent thing for for you to judge. I mean, to to and to hold them accountable for. Well, tell me about how you evolve from your initial concept and how you're building your team for your franchise organization. And if you hear a lot of, well, we kind of do both and I sort of do this and then I sort <laughs> you know, that, I think that would be, it, it's incredibly difficult to do. It, you really have to have the resources, I think, and the, and the construct of separate businesses interrelated. Can you bootstrap a franchise? To some degree, you know, I, money, um, uh, th- there's, a, there's a great book called uh, Growing a Business. Uh, it's probably 30, 40 years old now. And boy, the guy's name that wrote is, is, is leaving me right now. But uh, he, he had a chapter. I'll never forget. He had this amazing chapter, money. <laughs> okay. And, and I think actually you could have money doesn't solve all problems. But if you have too few funds, it, you know, it can be almost insurmountable. So to some degree, I think you ought to have a bootstrap strap mentality, but just have a realistic view of how much cash am I going to need? I mean, you know, you, there's just a reality factor there. And um, I always use this. I, I think I, you probably, we worked together for a while. I think you probably uh, have heard me say this, but business planning is like going on a vacation, Right. You get all your things together that you think you're going to pack, and you get all your clothes together, and then you get the money you think you're going to spend on vacation. Put half your clothes back because you won't even use them. Get twice as much money because <laughs> you will have surprises. So I, I just think that along the way you need to have – and the thing is, in today's world particularly, you know, capital is drawn to good ideas. Mm-hmm. If you have a good concept and if you have a good management team, and you, you really have something going, and you can show clearly what you should be able to do if you're franchising, that this fits with where society is going or where our culture is going or, or what's happening in today's world, and it's got legs for a long time, and it can be done you know, by different individuals in a reasonable period of time, learned in a reasonable period of time, that, that's going to attract capital. So that's, that shouldn't be your first I think concern. It, it's a it's a deep concern, but your first concern it's always the creative side. It's and 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 really uh, constructing the right business model. Thank you. It's it's very insightful, and I have not heard it said quite that way before. So, another question that comes from something that you referenced. You talked a little bit about you know the relationship between you, the franchisor, and all the franchisees that you had over the years. And obviously those relationships evolve and change. But if you could advise anyone on key things to consider when you're trying to develop the right kind of relationship between franchisor and franchisee, and there's always give and take, but if there's any advice you could give folks, and maybe this is to somebody who is, who is a CEO of a growing franchise system, 
what advice would you give them about how, you know, how to set the right foundation for productive franchise or franchisee relationships? Well, I mean, the foundation stone is trust, you know, and trust isn't something that happens overnight, right? I mean, trust has to come from, I think, authenticity. And if you've done your job right, uh, you already have that because you, there are very few questions that you are not going to be able to answer and say, hey, I've been there and this is why we do it this way rather than that way. And this is what we're looking at. But I think honesty is important, too. The reality is, especially in, in today's world, things are moving quickly. You're going to be trying new things, and that means you're going to have a percentage of them that fail. Now, the good news is, in a franchise system, uh, I think the the reality is is that what happens is the franchisor can take on a lot of that risk of trying new things. He doesn't have to shove that out to the franchisees. Mm-hmm. Now, they might participate. You know, the franchisees could participate with you. Uh, that's That's vital. They're going to be out there, and they're going to be a part of it. But I, I think you need to set a tone from the start that there's going to be continual change. I, I see that, and I saw that after sometimes after two, three, four years, people begin to get successful, and they think, okay, this is it. I just want to do this. I don't want to have to do all this new stuff. <laughs> and, and I think as a leader, as a franchise leader, you have to say, that's absolutely not true. You will have to look at investing in your business, and not necessarily – uh, particularly for a lot of like a service business we had, there wasn't a lot of plant and equipment, but there were a lot of ideas uh, and, and involving possibly new people, new ways of doing things, and some technologies and other things that do cost you. I mean, those things have a cost, either time, effort, energy, or dollars. Uh, but you have to, I, I think, in any business, um, uh, at, at any business leader, uh, if you want to maintain a good relationship with franchisees over a long period of time, set that tone from the beginning and let them see you taking risks at yourself together with them. Well, leading by example, Alan, that's an ideal point upon which to close out part one of this two-part interview. Alan Hager, founder and former CEO and chairman of the Right at Home Global Franchise System, thanks so much for joining and sharing with us today. For our listeners... Tune into next week's episode, and you'll hear part two of our Alan Hager interview, including some nuggets on building healthy franchisor-franchisee relationships. Thank you all, and we'll see you on another episode of the Heartland Franchise Guide. A Huda Media Production.